You are listening to the Vine Church Sermon Podcast. Thanks for joining us. For more information about the Vine Church, please visit our website at www.thevinemadison.org. So we're going to be in 1 Kings. It's right after 1 and 2 Samuel. And we're starting in chapter 2 this morning. As you guys have probably been made aware, we're wrapping up our series in the life of David. And it's been quite the journey. I've been really thankful for it. I, I'm, I'm just thankful you guys pay me to study the Bible. It's, some, it's a joy. Um, some days I don't, you know, kind of pinch myself that I get to do this. But David is a, is a complex character. He's got a lot of ups. He's got a lot of downs. He's got a lot of emotions. He's got a pretty crazy life. That's pretty consistent with the men that God calls to be leaders that we see in the Bible. Um, leadership is no glorious task when you read about God's leaders in the Bible. Uh, and David is no different. But I'm really, really thankful that we've been on this journey to look at his life together in First and Second Samuel. And this morning we're going to look at his parting words, his final words, his deathbed words. And he speaks them to his son, who's going to be king. His name is Solomon. And so kind of put yourself into the world of the text if you can. Imagine yourself. What, what are you going to want to say to someone that's going to be receiving this mantle of leadership, this authority, this responsibility? This is a sacred moment right here where David is speaking to his son as he knows his days draw near. You could see how that would be a sacred moment, how that would be a precious moment, a solemn, a holy, a set-apart moment. And that's what we have in our text for today. 1 Kings chapter 2, starting in verse 1. When David's time... To die drew near, he commanded Solomon his son, saying, I'm about to go the way of all the earth. Be strong and show yourself a man, and keep the charge of the Lord your God, walking in his ways and keeping his statutes. His commandments, his rules, and his testimonies, as it is written in the law of Moses that you may prosper in all that you do and wherever you turn, that the Lord may establish his word that he spoke concerning me, saying, if your sons pay close attention to their way to walk before me in faithfulness with all their heart and with all their soul, you shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel. So, So look at the words here with a little more precision. What's the main thrust of what David is saying here? Look especially at verse 3. What's the main thrust of what David is charging Solomon with in our text for today? I would say the majority of it is probably centered on listening. Here's how I would describe it. Listening to God's word and obeying it. Listening to God's word and obeying it. Having ears to hear, acting 
in light of it. That, that's the emphasis of what, what he wants Solomon to do. To, to be a, a man who hears God, cherishes it, and lives in light of it. And look at all the different ways. I and mean, this is repetition for the sake of emphasis that you see all the time in the Old Testament. Repetition for the sake of emphasis. He's saying the same thing in all these different ways. And that's just a way that Old Testament language is used to emphasize something. Look at, look at the diversity of the ways he says the exact same thing. Look at verse 3. The charge of the Lord, walking in his ways, keeping his statutes, commandments, rules, testimonies, written in the law of Moses. These are all just ways of saying, listen and trust what God has said. Don't go the way of Adam and Eve in the garden who listened to Satan and went their own way. Remember the first thing that Satan did? He attacked God and Adam and Eve at the level of God's word. What did he say? He said to Adam and Eve, the voice of Satan, he said, did God really say? See, it's at the level of God's speech that Satan questions God's people. It's real subtle. Seems kind of innocuous. I'm just asking a question. Did, did God really say? And David here is being the anti-voice. The anti-satanic voice. He's being the godly voice. He's saying, if these are the last words you hear me say, Solomon... Hear this, I want you to listen. I want you to pay attention. I want you to cherish what God has said. I can relate to this. If I were going to take a different job or if we were going to move overseas or something, and I have no plans of doing that, by the way, but I can imagine myself in a scenario like this, where if I were to have one final conversation with a, a new pastor who's going to serve and lead with the elders at the vine, what would I want him to be faithful to? Ultimately, I would want him to be humbled before God's word, to be fully submitted and listening with ears to hear of what God has what God has said. That, that, that he wouldn't have his own independent agenda, but wanting to lead the, the church from a posture of submission to the scriptures every step of the way. Listening, cherishing what God has said. And look at verse 3 again. What David says to Solomon will be the result. I want you to do all this stuff, Solomon. I want you to listen with ears to hear and live in light of it. Why? So that you may prosper in all that you do and wherever you turn. See, when you're faithfully trusting God's word and living in light of it and repenting where you fail, verse 3, generally speaking, happens that you may prosper in all that you do and wherever you turn. 
See, if you do that, generally speaking, over the long haul, things will go well for you. I would say it like this. I've never once obeyed God and regretted it. I've never once obeyed God and regretted it. Now, has obedience been easy all the time? Never. Absolutely not. Has it brought short-term suffering in my life? For sure. I probably shouldn't say never, you know, is, is obedience easy. Sometimes obedience is easy. But you guys know what I mean. It's not always simple. It's not always easy. But I've never once obeyed God and regretted it. I've never once listened and sought to put that in action and regretted it. See, generally speaking, when you seek to listen to God's word by faith, like David is challenging Solomon here, like, God, I trust you by faith that what you're saying here is true. I'm not trying to prove anything, but rather respond in love to what you have said. When this happens, generally speaking, over the long haul, good things come about. And the Bible is filled with content to support this. I love reading the Proverbs, and I soak in the Proverbs um, just in my regular Bible reading every time I pick up my Bible. It's just kind of a practice. I do a little bit from the, from the Proverbs. For me, I love it because there's just so much wisdom for leadership. And so, like, consider the wisdom of the Proverbs along these lines of what we've been looking at. Here's one proverb, uh, just in reference to parenting. The rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. So proverbs are not promises. They're wisdom for life that, generally speaking, is true. So if you're faithful, parents, listen up, lots of parents in the room, If you're faithful to discipline your kids, meaning we have boundaries for these kids, and when they cross those boundaries, there's going to be consequences that are uncomfortable in the short term. Like that's kind of what rod and reproof means. There's correction and there's discipline. That's really good. The Bible says, what does it say? Generally speaking, that gives wisdom. Maybe not in the moment, for sure in the future. But a child left to himself, if you just neglect discipline of your kids, it's going to bring shame to parents. So there's always exceptions. Like I know parents that do everything correctly and their kids are still really crazy, really messed up as adults. And I know, I know testimonies of the opposite. Like parents neglectful And these kids grow up to be beautiful, loving, Christ-honoring human beings. So there's always exceptions, but don't don't think that you're the exception. Like, don't put the Lord to the test like that. Here's another one. Uh, Do you see a man hasty in his words? There's more hope for a fool than for him. Like, if you're a complete loose cannon with your words... Probably, generally, usually, your life's going to be really hard in a lot of ways. 
Generally speaking, this is true. Now, I know some people that live their lives as a loose cannon, and their life seems to be kind of going okay from my limited perspective. But if you live in light of this proverb over time, like, I'm not going to be a loose cannon with my words. There's probably going to be some type of prosperity for you. Galatians 6 sums this up, what, what David is saying to Solomon. Just another way of, of saying it. In Galatians 6, Paul writes to the ancient church in Galatians. He says this, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good. Here it is. For in due season, it's not always short term, it's not always immediately. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So this is generally speaking how the world works. Like your actions and your decisions matter. If you listen to God's word and seek to live in light of it, it matters. If you neglect God's word and just close your ears and say, nope, I'm going to do my own thing, it matters. Like we had a whole sermon basically on this. If you remember David and his son Absalom and all the carnage that came about as a result of his sin with Bathsheba and Uriah, like those actions mattered. So you sow to the flesh, using the the language here in Galatians, David sowed to the flesh and he reaped some pretty intense consequences. So biblically speaking, this is is true. And, And we need to see this from God's word. Now, at the same time, we also need to be careful. And there's another angle on this that's equally as biblical. Like, if we listen really well, like David is saying to Solomon on his deathbed, and seek to obey, that doesn't mean that life is going to always be easy or free for some really hard suffering. Okay? And it's not hard to see the perfect example of this is Jesus. Right? In the, in the short term, listening to God's word, living a light of it, That may bring about some things that are very uncomfortable. See Jesus on a Roman cross. Like Jesus was the most perfectly obedient, perfect life lived. The most obedient human that ever lived and his life was very hard in some ways. So there there isn't always, hear this now, a one-to-one connection between listening well to God's word and seeing short-term blessings in your life. But as long as we see that and, and have our expectations managed, take this counsel from David to Solomon as really, really good for you to heed. Like, most of us aren't going to be inheriting a kingdom like Solomon, but we do have spheres of responsibility. Maybe it's your family, maybe it's leadership at work, maybe it's relationships in general, or your role here at the church where you serve. 
Like, take this counsel to heart from David to Solomon. It's really good counsel. Listen, listen well. By faith, trust that what God has said is good and that he really knows what he's talking about so that you have joy in obedience. Like, generally speaking, over time, when you do this over time, there's, there's blessings there. Like, you can, you can think of a thousand examples of this that, that are not hard to figure out. Like, I always think of what the Bible says about forgiveness. Ephesians 4.32, forgive one another as Christ has forgiven you. So if, if I seek to, like, hear that, believe that God knows what he's talking about, and seek to enact it, What's it going to produce over time in my life? Now, is forgiveness always simple or easy in the short term? No. A lot of us have been brutalized, victimized, betrayed. Forgiveness is not easy. It might be simple in terms of a transaction. It's not easy. But imagine the, what happens if you don't practice what God has said and commanded, the Bible talks about a root of bitterness that can grow up. And so long term, which would you rather have? Would you rather be free from this root of bitterness that will eventually just be toxic for you and lead to lots of other things? Or to persevere through the short-term suffering of giving forgiveness and then having a heart that's released from that? And you can see if you extrapolate both scenarios over time what can be produced in someone's life. Right? You can all imagine what that might look like. And that's all that we're saying here. That believing by faith that what God says is correct and seeking to live in light of it, generally speaking, that's going to produce some great things. Now, again, that doesn't mean it's easy, but it's still really good and should be pursued. Generally speaking, when you listen to what God has said, like David is instructing, pleading with, exhorting Solomon here this morning, there's blessings there. So that also implies that we just know what God has said. And so that probably connects to the time we spend with what he has said. One other thing along these lines, be always very careful of your motivation when it comes to obedience. When it comes, like, like from David to Solomon, from what David has written in the Psalms to us, from any portion of the scriptures to us, be very careful that you seek obedience with the right motivation. So biblical obedience, listen to this now, is always from the perspective of a son or a daughter and not a slave. Biblical obedience, listening, trusting it, seeking to live in light of it, is always from the perspective of a son or a daughter and not a slave. Like, a son or a daughter's obedience is most beautiful when it's fueled by love for mom and dad. Not fear, like, if I don't get myself together, you're going to kick me out of the family. Or you're going to disown me. 
Meaning, we obey, Christian, if you're Christian here today, you obey because of your identity as a son or daughter of God, and not because you're trying to achieve some identity as a son and daughter of God. You hear the difference? I want to obey because I know who I am, who God has said who I am, and I know how I became who I am, all the work of God. And so in light of that work of God, I want to listen because I love God, because he's filled me with his Holy Spirit to empower me, and then in light of all that, I want to obey. That's very, very much different than recognizing that I'm not a son or daughter of God, and I'm going to just get to work, and I'm going to try my best to hopefully earn something from God in, in a weird kind of way, put God in my debt so he owes me something by my standard or my good grades. That's very, very different. And that's an anti-gospel, okay? So we obey because of our identity, not to try to achieve our identity, okay? So as you read verse 3 and think about what that means for you, the right motivation has to be in place, okay? So all that to say, look at verse 3, look at what David says to Solomon and, and say like, yeah, I want that to be me too. That's really good. It's really good. So let's run hard after holiness. That's not legalism. That's, that's, that's biblical wisdom if you know who you are, if you understand the gospel, right? So let's, let's run hard after holiness. Let's pursue the blessing of obedience like David says to Solomon here. Just make sure you know why you're doing it. You can't add your salvation, but you can reflect that you are saved in the way you live. Did you hear that? You can't add to your salvation, but you can reflect that you are saved in the way that you live. That's gospel-centered obedience. But man, praise God for the gospel that saves sinners and failures. Like Solomon is going to fail bad if you keep reading. And David, as we've seen, he failed and he failed bad. You failed and failed bad. I have too. None of us have fulfilled what David says here to Solomon, as we should. So what is our only hope in life and death? The Heidelberg Catechism sums it up so well. It says this, that I am not my own, but belong, body and soul. See that statement, belong, I, I identify with, I'm connected to. I'm not my own, but belong. That's my identity, body and soul, in life and death to my faithful Savior. I need a Savior, Jesus Christ. So if you're a Christian, let's, let's camp out right there and live in light of it. In light of it. My identity is that I belong to Jesus. I, be, I obey because of that identity, not to achieve that identity. So in this first part, we've seen David exhort Solomon to be who he is in light of who he is. He's a son of the king. <laughs> like he's a son of the king in like the, the, the biological sense and he's a son of the king in the ultimate spiritual sense, both. And, and David is saying, in light of who you are, here's how I want you to live. I'm dead. 
you're going to take over. This is what I want for you. Deathbed words. Beautiful words. Now, we're going to take a hard turn. Okay? We're going to take a hard turn because the text takes a hard turn. All right? The first part that we've seen here, David's words, kind of probably what you'd expect. And the last part of his words might not be what you expect. Okay? So let's check it out, and we'll try to make some sense of it, and then we'll be done. Look at verse 5 with me. Moreover, you also know what Joab, the son of Zeruiah, did to me, how he dealt with the two commanders of the armies of Israel, Abner, the son of Ner, and Amasa, the son of Jether, whom he killed, avenging in time of peace for blood that had been shed in war, and putting the blood of war on the belt around his waist and on the sandals on his feet. Act therefore according to your wisdom, but do not let his gray head go down to Sheol in peace. But deal loyally with the sons of Barzillai, the Gileadite, and let them be among those who eat at your table. For with such loyalty they met me when I fled from Absalom, your brother. But there is also with you Shimei, the son of Gera, the Benjaminite, from Baharim, who cursed me with a grievous curse on the day when I went to Mahanaim. But when he came down to meet me at the Jordan, I swore to him by the Lord, saying, I will not put you to death with the sword. Now therefore do not hold him guiltless, for you are a wise man. You will know what you ought to do to him, and you shall bring his gray head down with blood to Sheol. So what is going on here? David's got a hit list. Like this is gangster David. This is thug David. Maybe. That's, that's kind of how it reads at first blush, right? He's got some scores that he wants to settle. He's got his hit list for Solomon, and he's got the authority to do it. So how do we make sense of this? Well, these different men that he lists off here, two, uh, he gives the death sentence, and one, he gives a, a blessing sentence. Um, I'm not going to get into the details of those accounts. You can go back and read those in 2 Samuel. And there's a lot about Joab in First and 2 Samuel. But the first thing I want you to notice is that none of these two men that he mentions um, are guiltless. These are some shady dudes. These are some sketchy characters. But the question remains, why would David take revenge here and, and not leave that to the Lord like he has in other places, namely with Saul? Well, I think there's a couple ways to look at this. And sometimes there's question marks in our Bibles that don't get answered, and that's, I think, going to be the case here. It's okay. It's okay. But, and we should be used to that in some sections. Um, but I think that's what we might find here. But let me give you a couple things to think about when it comes to this section. First, it could be that David is just missing the mark here. That this is sin on his part. And, and it was strangely comforting for us as sinners is that the Old Testament always shows men and women as they really are. Like it's, it's real life. It's not whitewashed characters 
It's people that need a savior just like we do. And praise God that he uses people like that because then there's hope that he can use us, amen? Abraham, shady dude, did some sketchy stuff. Jacob, shady dude, sketchy stuff. Moses, I mean, the list goes on and on. David, as we've seen, he's on the list as well. If you were in the Old Testament, you'd be on the list too. So would I. So the Bible doesn't pull any punches. David does and says some really good things, God-filled things, and he does some things that are very sketchy to say the least. But what Israel needs to see is that for all David's victories, they still need a better king. What we find here could just be in that sketchy category, the shady category. But at the end of it, Israel has to see they they need a better king. So they might just be left with that. That David's doing sin here again, and their hope is not ultimately in David. But on the other hand, the Bible does say that rulers in David's position bear the sword. See Romans 13. Like, the king's job at this point in history was to render justice in the land. They are king and judge. They are executive branch and judicial branch. And also keep in mind that David was God's anointed king. And remember when David was fearful to kill Saul many months ago? We talked about this. David hesitated and didn't do it. And he says, how could I dare to touch the Lord's anointed? He was fearful of what God had said about this king that was his king, flaws and all. It's like, I'm not going to take matters in my own hand and, and touch the Lord's anointed in this time in history. Like, you could ask yourself, why did these two guys, Joab and Shimei, why did, why did they not feel the same as David did towards Saul? See, their attack on David was an attack on the kingdom of God himself because David was God's anointed king. Like, that's no small thing. Like, think about it like for us. I wouldn't recommend this, but you could test it out. Like, make a public threat against the president on Twitter or Facebook and see how the Secret Service handles that. Like, it's not going to go well. Like, they will take that very, very seriously, the Secret Service. So in another light, David's instructions to, to, to Solomon could be seen as, Solomon, you need to shepherd the kingdom of God that he has given to you. You need to do that really well. And these men are trying to tear that down and bring chaos. And you can't allow that to happen. So that could be another angle on it. And knowing what we know about human nature, it could be you know, a mixture of both here in, in David's life. The Bible doesn't say. And it, we leave it to, to the reader to decide. But either way, the thing that we have to see this morning as we, as we wrap up our series in the life of David is this. And I already said it and we'll say it again. We've said it for a few months now that Israel needs a better king. 
Israel needs a better king. Israel's hoped for a Messiah from day one since they needed to be rescued from Egypt. There's been a desire for a Messiah, one who would come and make all things right. And tragically, what we see is David dies, and there's been some good progress made, but he's clearly not the guy. He's clearly not the guy. Israel needs a better king. And that should be the biggest thing that jumps off the page for the first reader of this many, many centuries ago and for us. A truer king, a holy, faithful king. And the Bible goes to great lengths as the storyline of Scripture progresses to show that Jesus is that king. He is the true and final son of David. God made that promise to David. Remember in 2 Samuel 7? 2 Samuel seven sixteen, That his kingdom, David's kingdom, would have no end. And so when the Bible goes to great lengths to show David is connected, I'm sorry, that Jesus is connected lineage-wise to David, that's a big deal. And every Christmas season that's coming up, and you read maybe that genealogy, that Matthew is going to great lengths to show that this Jesus is connected to David. He's connected to that 2 Samuel seven sixteen promise that Jesus is the true king. He's the true son of David. He's the true answer to that promise of a kingdom that will have no end. The Bible shows us that Jesus is the true king. So we want to run the other way from this posture of Joab and Shimei. They opposed God's kingdom and his king. Jesus is the real king, the final king, the true king. And connected to what we talked about at the beginning, here's the question for us. Solomon had to answer it. We should answer it too. Do we want to listen? Jesus cries out, to anyone who has ears to hear, let him hear. Do you hear with ears to hear to what the king has to say? What he has to say about his death and his resurrection? What he has to say about eternal life? What he has to say about pride versus humility? What what he has to say as the definition of the truly blessed life? Like citizens of the kingdom listen well to the true king. And they humble themselves and cast themselves on the mercy of the king when they fail. Like the true king is merciful. See the cross of Jesus Christ. And the true king rules from the cross where his mercy reaches out to his enemies. And and David's life points to this. I pray we have eyes to see and ears to hear. Lord, would you help us? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this series that you've given to us, seeing the life of David in all of its detail, so much good, so much bad. Lord, may we be reminded that we're in need of a Savior just like him. Lord, may our hearts long for a true king like those ancient people longed for a true king. For those here this morning that that have yet to see you as the true king of the universe, 
Um, Lord, I pray you give them eyes to see and ears to hear, questions to ask and to be answered, maybe by a neighbor sitting next to them this morning. Father, we thank you so much for the gospel that we see in the life of David and that you are the true king, that, that the battle belongs to you. And that you promise to be with us even more profoundly than you, than you were with David because of the gift of your Holy Spirit. So maybe keep in step with your spirit this morning. May we live in light of, of your spirit-inspired word. Would you help us with this? Apart from you, we can do nothing. In Jesus' name, amen.